welcome to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. My name is Susan Sellers, and I'll be your host for today. This program is powered in part by Wounded Warrior Project to honor and empower post 9-11 injured service members, veterans, and their families. Currently, there are 2.3 million children of injured, ill, and wounded service members and veterans who play a crucial role in caring for their loved ones. These children have been recognized as hidden helpers as their role has largely gone unseen. Recently, I had the privilege to speak to Chris and his mom, Liz. Chris is a hidden helper to his dad, who is a Marine wounded warrior of Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom veteran. Today's episode is unlike our typical podcast. This is truly a candid conversation that we were able to capture with the family's permission. Chris begins his story by sharing about his life as an active duty military kid and what his life became after his dad was injured. Thank you for listening. You know, my dad was Marine for 14 years, seven times up to sixth grade. You know, I've been in Texas, Arizona, North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland. Like his first deployment, which I don't remember too well, but. So you basically, you're like my, how old are you? 18. Okay. I have an 18 year old. So I have 20, 18, and 16. So you grew up with deployments. Like, Mm -hmm. That's all you know, right? Same with my voice. That's our life, like rotations and dad being gone. Like that's our reality. What's the first deployment you remember? Um, I remember him. We were on like a, a dirt parking lot, and there was like three huge like tour buses. Yeah. And uh, he was saying bye to me and the girls. I think it was the girls. And then he like squatted down, and said something along the lines of trying to picture it. He was real salty. He was real dusty and dirty. And uh, he said something like, like you, he was like, I'll be right back or something like that. It's like, I gotta go away for a little bit, but you know, I'll be back and you gotta you know, protect mom and be the man. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. And how old were you at that time? Six. Yeah, I was a six. Okay. Did you guys ever do the uh, United Through Reading videos where, like, they read the story? You did. Chuck did that. You um, read a story. Actually. Oh, yeah. I did a couple of things like that. Yeah. And it's on, like, a, like a tiny, it was, like, a picture of them, but it was, like, a pillow. Yes. You know, and it was, like, a, like the girls had one where it was just him and his, and his camis, and I had one where he's holding his gun. I thought it was way cooler. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, like, Pillow Dad or, or yeah, something like that. So, like, when you're, like, when dad was gone, like, what was some of the things you did to help around the house? Everything. I mean, I remember when mom was pregnant with Charlie, the second deployment, uh, I remember just bringing her, like, little snacks and doing little things like, like, helping the girls not kill each other because they never really got them. Like, they do sometimes, they don't sometimes, so... Sure. Times they don't, I would try and just keep the sanity, I guess, keep the peace. So tell me what the call. Um, I remember sitting on the couch. I, I don't know how old I was, but I remember sitting on the couch 
Uh, my legs didn't hang off the end yet. And I'm sitting there, and we had a we had a house phone up on the wall. And mom got up, phone call. I didn't think anything about it. You might have been watching Ellen, and then I don't remember what your first reaction was. But when you picked up the phone, you were like silent, like you didn't really say much. I think you were expecting something. And then I couldn't hear the phone call, but you started screaming and crying. And then you came and sat down next to me and tried to explain that like, dad's hurt, but he's all right. He's alive. Like, he's fine. And uh, I didn't really comprehend what that meant. I was like, oh, he probably scraped his knee. I don't know. Like, but then I didn't know what, he, what they meant by that. Also, because he didn't tell me like what happened. They didn't tell you what happened. So... And he gets back and he's totally different. Can you give an example? Like what example would you give? Today, in this, after all these years of helping him, like with the hyperbaric oxygen treatments and stuff like that, and therapy and all that, he's he's pretty much I think he's pretty close to the way he was before. Like he he the other day, two two, three days ago, he had all this energy and he's jumping around and like singing and random stuff being a mess. And that's what I do. And that's what Charlie does. And that's what Sarah does. Anna doesn't really, but you all kind of get like, like two hours of an energy high. And we're just really crazy for those two hours. Everybody's super goofy and singing like yeah. show tunes or, or yeah. songs that that commercials, we had commercials or whatever. Right. Yes. And, um, I don't know. It was the first time in a while I'd seen it, especially because that week he had, he was really tired. He came home, he would change out his clothes and then just fall asleep on the couch. And then he did that every day for like six days. And then finally on that, I think it was Friday afternoon, Saturday morning or something like that, he was laying on the floor, wrestling with the dog, playing with Charlie. It was nice, but he... As soon as he got back, he wasn't like that. Um, I didn't notice it right away because, you know, I ran up and still hugged him the same. But kind of like the second day, probably, I was like, like, I just noticed he was quiet. He didn't come out of his room. He was taking a lot of naps. And then eventually, he had tons of migraines, but eventually the migraines became normal. Like, I thought it was just normal for, you know, someone to have headaches. And uh, his migraines would last like two and three days. So in those two and three days, no lights on. He's under the blankets the whole time. You know, like he kept the room cold. And you might see him once or twice when he's walking in the bathroom. It'd be tough because you're so excited for him to come home. Yeah. And connect with him and, you know, have that goofy time like you talked about. Right. And it sounds like it's maybe like the opposites. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. He, it, I mean, I don't know. To me, it kind of felt like he didn't want to be around, like he didn't want to see us, like he didn't have, he, like he didn't have that same energy. So I thought something changed where I did something to her. And I think the girls felt the same way. They remember it, but I remember the house, the White House in Virginia, made a huge backyard. You know. We used to play like football back there. We had like 
the kids like big giant plastic bats and we would play baseball back there and we before we left we would do that all the time and we would go up to the park and watch all the people do like the medieval like live action role play or whatever mm-hmm. and it was just things we did we were out a lot but we just didn't do that right. and then it was kind of more just me in the house and maybe maybe doing something with the girls i mean yeah it, it kind of just went from before he left you know us wrestling and him throwing me and you know sports in the backyard and then he just kind of came downstairs once every two days three days that sucks because then how can you not take that personally when the person you want to connect with is shutting down yeah you of course are going to internalize it so now for you was it also hard for things to kind of change so abruptly from being active duty to now your dad's a veteran i mean i didn't notice it at first to me it was just another school another house I ended up, when I went to school, I made a friend that I hadn't seen in that group and I ended up hanging out with him a little bit and he kind of introduced me to more kids and, you know, it wasn't, it was just another place, but, uh, then the whole thing with me going to Shepherd Pratt started happening and they didn't know what was going on. And when I tried to tell them, Mm -hmm. they didn't believe me at all. They didn't even try to understand. They just know because that's where crazy people went. So talk to me about Shepherd Pratt a little bit. I'm not, I'm not familiar with it. And how did you get to that point? Um, well, I guess it was just because <clears throat> my dad wasn't, he wasn't able to do a lot of things. And, uh, you know, me having to do as much as I did was hard and it, it was tiring physically and mentally. And, um, you know, I felt that, you know, he would, he would always say that because he's home, I don't have to be the parent in, but I always felt like he wasn't, like, I felt like he wasn't watching enough. Like he wasn't, because if he was upstairs asleep, you know, no one's watching what Ann and Sarah and Charlie are doing because mine would be at work or at sports with one of them. And the other two, I got to watch. And, uh, well, it's probably hard to turn off. If oh, you've yeah. been doing those jobs it during was, a deployment. It was nine months doing that. Exactly. So how do you stop I didn't. doing that? I didn't. I never did. I still don't. I, I'm better at it. I'm better at not. You know, a lot of what the girls do, I don't understand. I just, whatever, and I walk away. But I remember a lot of times, like, They'd be trying to make something and make a huge mess and walk away from it. And I was like, whoa, you gotta, you know, you gotta clean that. You can't just leave that. And, you know, they'd be like, they'd say something like, you know, shut up, dad's here now. Like, you're not, you're not my dad. It was hard because they used, they, they actually did used to listen to me. Like, I, I, I never wanted them to, I never wanted to boss them around. I never wanted to control them. But like, we all kind of knew that for the greater good of the house, we had to keep it clean and for mom's sanity, we had to do things. Absolutely. And, um, but once he got back, they, they were like, well, if dad's not saying, telling me to do it, I'm not doing it. Right. And he wasn't doing it a lot. He never, he never enforced a lot of things because he wasn't really around to see it. Right. And, um, so do you think you struggled with a little bit then like, what was your role in the family? Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I I had been the, the parent for so long and to try and, you know, it it's it's like being the boss and then your employees don't listen to you anymore one day and then you can't fire. They're just you're just stuck with them. So yeah, I mean, that was definitely really difficult. But uh, I think that's what kind of led into me being so depressed and I guess there was a couple other things that were insignificant, but it was mostly because of him and, uh, you know, we, we really didn't do like, all I did with him was baseball. We had practice once like Tuesdays and what, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And that's all I really did with him. And right. I didn't do everything with him. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's just stuff like that, that, you know, he doesn't want to be around me and <clears throat> he can't handle me or whatever because right. I was being too much and he's got a headache but uh and so how do you not take that personally I mean yeah yeah and you're so you're kind of it sounds like you're almost grieving the loss of like what you used to have yeah and you're sort of confused about okay what's my role in the family now right dad's back but he's not really back right and what is it about me that he doesn't want to spend time with? I mean, I know I would feel the same way. Even though you know that's not true in your head, how could you not? Right. You know, I think anybody would, would struggle with that. So, like, did you talk to your mom about it? Did you, like, just decide, did you internalize it? Well, I never thought to talk to anyone about it. Okay. Uh, the girls were too young. Mom was too busy. Charlie was, like, three. And then, you know, I... I didn't know how to talk to my dad about, like, I, I, I couldn't talk to him. So I kind of just kept to myself, and it built up probably over two years. And uh, I'd say probably, like, fifth and sixth grade, it was just building up. Uh, fifth was a good year. Sixth was an all right year. And then seventh kind of declined a lot. Uh, by the, towards the end of seventh grade, uh, I had tried suicide uh, three times mm -hmm. and the therapist I was seeing at that time at Kennedy Krieger, uh, she put me into an outpatient at Shepherd Pratt for two weeks. Okay. And, uh, it's just Shepherd Pratt's just a, a mental institution and they do everything from drug rehab to getting people to quit cigarettes and helping people like me who were really depressed and, and it's just a huge hospital and it was really close to where we lived. So my dad would drop me off every morning and it was during the week. It was uh, Monday to Friday and, you know, uh, we drop me off like eight in the morning or so. I'd go there and get out of three and we would do like activities and stuff. And I mean, there, there was age groups or there was an age difference of like, like, I was probably 12 when I was in there. Okay. And there was a guy who was in there who was, like, 19. There were people in there who were, you know, 10. There were people in there who were 22. So a wide range yeah, of ages everyone. and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And it was nice that they did that because we all shared our story. To hear what everyone else had gone through, it was nice knowing that there's other people. And it's obviously different because they weren't military, but... They, you know, they also have struggles with their parents and that they were being impacted by their home life yeah, as well. Yeah. So, would you say that was probably the most helpful thing during your time at Shepherd Pratt, or no. what else do you think was the most helpful for you there? 
um, the most helpful thing for me was my therapist, Cheryl, and getting a career. Um, she was the first one who kind of related to what I said. She never like pitied me. She never like felt sorry and tried to like tell me like everything's okay because that's what everyone said. She was the first one who listened and kind of told me how it would get better. Not it will get better, but she told me how it would. Because, you know, she was in the Navy for, I think, like 20 years or something like that. She, she'd she been in the Navy, and I think her husband was too, and, you know, she was military. So it was nice talking to someone who understood that. But after Shepard Pratt, uh, tried to tell my friends about it, and probably about two years after Shepard Pratt, and they were like, yeah, no, no way. Because there had been other kids who went to Shepard Pratt, but they went for hardcore drug abuse, like crazy things like cocaine or something like that. So they, right. in their mind, I could, I don't do that. I could have never gone there. There's no way. They kind of saw it as an extremist behavior. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really blame them because they don't, I'm not mad at them for not believing me. It's, I guess I wouldn't say I'm good at hiding it, but. Well, yeah, I'm kind of curious. Cause you said, I had asked you earlier, you had said, you didn't talk to your mom about it because she was too busy. The girls were too young. Yeah. You didn't know how to talk to your dad. So talking to friends though? No. Okay. I can I ask why? Because you're not the first kid I've had on the, the show that has given me that exact same answer. I never had to bring it up. Okay. I knew that they wouldn't really understand. Um, they also never asked. I was never asked. That was a big thing. And I didn't think they would care. I felt like it was with it was one of those things where if I told them it would, they would just kind of say, like, uh, okay. Because they wouldn't know how to react. Right. That's what you're thinking. How much did they know about your home life? Like, did they? Okay, so they didn't know anything about your home life. They still don't. Really? Okay. I mean, they know that my dad might get mad. They all they know is that he has a you know a short temper with certain things. Okay. Uh, there was one time I was on Facetime. And I was sitting in the basement where my room is now and the laundry room's super close to, it's like right next to the bathroom. And uh, he's down there doing laundry and, uh, you know, our washer and dryer, like 20 years old. So stuff happened with him, but something happened with the filter that you pull out and he got mad and he punched it and screamed something, something like the F word or something like that. Right. And immediately I told him, I, like, I gotta go, hung up. And uh, me and mom went in and tried to get him to relax. And then, he, you know, he was mad at himself because he acted like that. And he kind of, he kind of just shut down and just went upstairs. He just, that was it. And um, my friends were like, what, what was that? Like, why? Yeah. Like, are you all right? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's just, he's just got mad at the dryer. Like, that's just another, it was a normal thing. Yeah. So is it, you, do you think it's, it sounds like you almost keep your friends separate than what you have going on at that. Yes. Yep. Is it easier to do that? Yeah. Okay. Because you know, I I feel like they would think that they would think that he's crazier. He's a terrible guy. They would think that he's doing this because he hates us or something. You're still protecting him. Yeah. So it's just easier yeah. for them to think. I guess for them to just think that he's a happy guy when they see him. And that, you know, that's how he is all the time. Because that's, that might be how their dad is. I mean, I'm sure their dads get mad at stuff. Like, if they don't take the trash out and, you know, they get grounded for a day. But 
that's not how it was down at our house. And um, is it currently just too hard to sort of explain the reality? So that's why you think you keep it separate, or that you feel like they're going to judge him? I feel like they would judge him and me. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like they would. I think that's fair. I think they would do the whole pity thing, and I feel sorry for you, and mm, okay, and I don't, and you know, I don't to, like treat me differently because you feel like they treat you weirdly because they don't, they wouldn't like know how to deal with yeah. it. Yeah, okay. wouldn't. I guess they wouldn't like joke with me the same. They wouldn't. Right. No. Is that hard keeping your friends separate than what's going on at the house? No, I, really? I just. I don't tell them, and if they, for instance, like that call I was on and they heard it, right? Somehow I just got mad. That's it. Okay. Because that's really all it is. But the whole reason as to why he gets mad is such a long story, and you know, for me to try to explain that because of that day when his friend stepped on the ID behind him, since then he's been like this. They, they wouldn't understand that. Okay. They know. They do know a little bit about how. You know, he was a Marine and how he got hurt. And I told him kind of, I told him once, I guess the story of, you know, his friend and how he stepped on that IED behind him. Sure. But, uh, and it, I mean, it, it blew their mind. They had no idea. And um, that's probably the most I've ever told them. And I, I kind of do that with everybody. I tend to keep it to myself. I guess I just kind of feel like no one cares. Do you feel like that has an impact on you long term? No, I, I mean, I guess as of right now, I would say no. Okay. Maybe five years that answer might change. But as of right now, with them not knowing, I'm right. But not, they don't, they don't need to know, I guess, because it's just too much to explain. Well, and it's only one part of you and it doesn't, it doesn't define who you are. Right. It just is your current situation. Yeah. You know? That's still got to be a struggle not to have somebody that you can just completely connect with. So that's probably why the therapist you mentioned from Shepard yep. Pratt was so helpful. Yeah. So after Shepard Pratt, how have things been? Have, was, did they give you strategies to sort of address? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me there was just kind of seeing that there's other people that struggle too. Okay. And I'm not the only one. Sure. Like everybody in there was different. Everybody was in there for a different reason. Some kids were rich, some kids were poor, you know, every, it was, there was so many kids in there and not a lot, but there wasn't a lot of kids. It was probably nine of us, nine or 10. We did a lot of, I guess, bonding, I guess you would call it. I don't know, but we all shared with each other and it was, it was weird because they were just strangers, but you know, I guess it's easier to, open up to a stranger you're never going to see again than it is someone you see every day. That, that group of people, we did two weeks together and I saw them every day for two weeks and um, it was definitely beneficial, but I mean, I hated going. I remember giving my dad a hard time. Every time he dropped me off, I'd be like, oh, here you go, dropping off your son. You're so proud of for going to another day at a mental hospital or dropping off your crazy son because, you know, and I give him a hard time, but I definitely appreciate going there now. Sure. I definitely, I'm glad I went. So what about now? Is there anything you're doing now to help yourself with the reality of today? I mean, I don't, 
not really. I mean, uh, my girlfriend, I've been dating her for two years. Okay. And she's been through a lot with her parents' divorce and all that. But her stepdad is, he was in the Navy. Okay. And, you know, when her stepdad and her mom got together, they, I mean, they didn't, they were moving around and stuff. And so she didn't really understand military life, but she has an idea. And uh, she was the first person outside of the house that I told everything to. And, uh, like, she knows everything. And uh, that definitely helped having someone understand. And, you know, sometimes she'll say, that's not normal. That's not okay. Right. Like, like I don't know how that works in your house. But and she was like, I've never heard of that happen in anyone else's house. And um, she kind of helped me, I guess... She she brought back some sanity. Okay. Because I never told anyone else. I thought what I was living was normal. Sure. Because I didn't know any other anything else. Well, that's your reality. Right. Yeah. So she told me that it was it was I guess it was like a wake up. Okay. In what way? Like uh, I don't know how you could explain it, but you know, I would just tell her like, oh, you know, dad's had too much to drink and he's watching a war movie again talking to himself, you know, pretending that, or I guess not pretending, but thinking that he's back, mm -hmm. deployed again. She'll be like, that's really not, like, good. Like That's not typical. Yeah, that's yeah. not normal. And for me, it was. For me, that was just, oh, he's reminiscing. Oh, that's dad. Yeah. He's got Saving Private Ryan on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So okay. I guess when she told that, I kind of, I guess you could say, I kind of felt more for my dad I kind of like I I didn't understand him more but I I looked at him differently okay because I was like you know he's not all right right and I, I didn't I don't know how to put it. I didn't feel bad for him or something but but you say maybe more empathetic than to yeah, the situation right and I kind of I don't know it's hard to explain but I looked at him differently in a better way Okay. Instead of instead of when he does stuff like that, instead of me brushing off like oh whatever, that's just him. I kind of be like, like I would think about it more, and I definitely still do that. I think about him and his deployment all the time, just random stuff. Sure. I mean, I worked landscaping last year, and on super hot days, I would think, man, this is what it was like for me every single day. Um, do you find that it comes to you at random times? Oh yeah, super random times. I remember one time. Uh, very recently, I was in the shower, you know, I was just, you know, I had music playing, I wasn't doing anything, I was just singing or whatever, but I was just having a good time in the shower, and then all of a sudden I stopped, I had this thought come in my brain, and I remember I had a really vivid picture, I could see him, and the way he explained it to me, he told me his story one time, we were at a party, birthday party in Pennsylvania for one of his Marine best friends. It was her daughter and a balloon popped, freaked him out, scared him really bad. He went and threw up in the bathroom. And as soon as I heard the balloon pop, I was looking around for him. Cause it's like, that's. You knew the trigger. Yeah. And it was, and it wasn't just one balloon that popped. It was probably like three or four. So he went through up and no one else saw it happen. He was so quick. I was the only one that ran outside and, um, he was crying. He ran outside to the corner. He starts telling me it just happened so fast. And, and then I turned around and his legs are gone. And 
and he's screaming and he, he, he explained it in such a, a vivid way. And in that moment, I didn't even comprehend it. I just saw he was crying and I felt bad for him. But just very recently in the shower, probably last month, all that hit me and I thought about it really deeply. And I pictured it really vividly in my head of what, like just everything. And obviously I wasn't there when it happened, but like, I feel like I have a pretty good idea how it went, the way he described it. It's one thing to hear the words, but now it sounds like you feel the words. Yeah, and the amount of emotion he put behind when he told me that story, it, it stuck with me. And I'll remember exactly what he said forever. And I'll remember exactly how it happened. And as soon as he finished the story, he wiped the tears from his face, took a deep breath, and his friend came out. Scott came out, and he was like, hey, man, you all right? You know, I, I heard that balloon go off, and we sat out there, and he was like, yeah, yeah no, I'm fine, fine. And he kind of switched back to, sure. you know, he, he doesn't want to look, he doesn't want to be like that in front of some He switched back to the Marine. You're right. Yeah. And uh, his friend Scott, he was never injured or anything like that. Um, I know he saw stuff like that. That's just how it was being in Afghanistan, but he, he was never injured. And uh, I don't think he fully relates to what my dad has seen and been through. And, you know, Scott doesn't, I don't know, but he seems like he does. He seems like he does. All right. He seems like he must be very good at hiding because he, you know, he's just the same happy guy that I've known since I was a kid. Cause we used to live on base together and I would go over and watch her play beer pong and joke with each other. And sure. Everybody uh, handles things a little bit differently. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's probably why you appreciated Shepard Pratt so much right. is because my guess is you're seeing everybody be like, well, their dad's fine. They came back from unemployment. Their dad's, you know, or their mom's okay. You actually had that opportunity to sort of like look past that front face right. that people give you. And see, like, oh, wait a minute. No, there's people like me that, yeah. that are still struggling. Yeah. You know, I think that your dad trusted you enough to tell you that story. Yeah. I mean, I, I just remember he ran out and he gets to the corner right before he stepped off, like, the sidewalk where the parking lot was. And he right. stopped and he froze and he, he was just, he had his head hanging low and he was just breathing super heavy and like frantically crying, not just like a, not just like a cry. He was out of breath. He was sobbing. Like he was, I, I, I've never, ever seen him like that before or after that happened. And it's a hard thing to see. Yeah. And, um, and, and how to process, but the fact that he could be that vulnerable with you, I think shows how important your connection with them is. Yeah. And still is. And I've never thought about it like that. I always thought about you know, I just walked out and I was just the first person. Scott came right after you. Yeah. He could have shared that with him. He chose you to share that with. I, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. And he just, he painted such a good picture that I feel like I know exactly what happened. Do you feel like that helps you to understand what he's going through now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that changed a lot after I heard that. And he's even showed me on Google Maps where it happened. And he showed me exactly, like, that's where it happened. I got thrown down that hill. I had to climb back up that hill, get that guy to stop bleeding because both of his legs are gone. And then we got ambushed for six hours. And they didn't get home till, they didn't get back to base till nine that night. And then it happened early in the morning. So 
I think so often our, our soldiers are taught to compartmentalize, I think that's the right word, kind of like section off things that happen and not to discuss it. Because in a way, I think they think they're protecting us yeah. from that experience. But in some ways, at least for me, when when my husband shares few details, and, and he does not share a lot either, but when he, it's almost like I get to see a snapshot of who he was over there. Yeah. And then I have a better understanding of who he is now. Um, well, I appreciate you sharing that with yeah. me. That was that was intense. Yeah. Um, what does the phrase hidden helper mean? Because I had somebody ask me that yesterday in the expo. They're like, oh, we didn't know what this session was on. What's a hidden helper? What would I mean, what would you say that as? Say oh, it's it's easier being one than it is to explain it to somebody else. It's kind of just if you are one and you hear that, mm -hmm. you just know, like, oh, that's me. And uh, I think it's like when I first started, you know, talking with my mom and, you know, Elizabeth Dole Foundation, they all called me a caregiver. I didn't feel right. That never, it still doesn't, I don't feel like a caregiver. Didn't help it really make sense because to me, I was just helping my dad and I never got, I guess, recognition for it because I figured it was just normal things. That's what you do. Yeah. He just needed something and you would go get it for him. You know, it, it was making sure he took his medicine before he went to sleep, because if he didn't, the next day was going to be a long day. And um, it was just stuff like that. And even now, there was one time pretty recently, maybe six or seven months ago, uh, he had to stay home from work for a couple of days because he switched medicines. So he stopped taking medicine for two days. He had an off day, and then he started taking a new medicine, and it took about three days for it to really kick in. So there was a week where he was a totally different person. And... Um, he didn't go to work or anything, and I don't remember where everyone was, but I think everyone was at work and school and stuff. And because I was a senior, you know, I had a lot of home time because I didn't have a full day of classes. And uh, I came home, and he was still in bed. And I went up, and was, I always call him old man because that's what he calls his dad. But I, I would go check him. Hey, old man, what are you doing? Still in bed? And he's like, yeah. And, he, he kind of, I could tell he wasn't really in the mood. He's like, have you eaten yet? And he was like, no, no, I'm going to get up and make something. And I was like, yeah, all right. Like, no, you're not. And uh, he was like, if you could just make me a grilled cheese, that'd be great. And I was like, okay. And then I went and made him a whole thing of ramen. And I made him uh, grilled ham and cheese and something else. But I brought it all up to him. And uh, it, it was something like that. Made him really happy and very dark time. I, I like doing stuff like that because it's easy stuff. Right. And they appreciate it. But you want to do it. it. It's not a burden for you, is it? No. Yeah. I mean, if I had nothing else to do, even if I did, I still would have said, like, if I had a friend waiting to pick me up outside, I'd say, no, wait. Like, I have to make this real quick. I got to yeah. check in on it. I went, brought him up that, some Excedrin, huge thing of water, and he, he seemed really grateful. And it was nice. Because you're part of a team. Yeah. And even though you may not always know what your label is in the team, you're still on that team. Yeah. They couldn't do it without you. Yeah. For sure. Which makes it tough, though, when you're thinking about your future. What's it look like for you? Like, what's, what's your path looking like? I'm not going to college. 
because okay. I was never been good at school. Okay. And that's due to crazy ADHD, um, moving so many times that the curriculum was never the same, the same school. So I never got a linear education. Okay. It was so jumbled and messed up and I'm, I'm a whole math lower than all my friends. I don't think I'm not a dumb kid. Like it's, that's not why. No, well, everybody learns differently. Right. You know, and it's not the path for everybody. Take your journey and find your path and what fits for you. I, I knew I never wanted to go to college. I said it forever. I never knew what I wanted to do other than that, but okay. I just knew I never wanted to go to college. You know, my dad was like, look, try welding. You know, you're, you're at a great company right now. Go try and weld and see what you think. And if you like it, you can go to trade school, whatever. Don't. You can try out this cop thing. Um, I ended up welding pretty recently. Um, and I, I think I really like it. Do you? I'm definitely really good at it, I think. Um, I've been told by a couple of people that, yeah, but now I'm looking at, I don't know if I'm going to go to trade school. You know, the, the company I'm at, I can get the same qualification, the same certification at a trade school that I could at this job I'm at now. It's nice that you can focus on the future. Right. That you're looking forward to something. Like you found your purpose. Right. I want to thank Chris and Liz for having the courage to share. The hope in doing this podcast is through their stories, we can have a better understanding of these unique challenges and find ways to support our families. Please consider going to the links in the show's notes for more information about the Hidden Helpers Initiative. This program is powered in part by Wounded Warrior Project to honor and empower post 9-11 injured service members, veterans, and their families. You've been listening to the MSEC Podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. Until next time, live a great story.